0: Welcome to Feathers in My Hair, a Teen Mom Deep Dive Podcast. I'm your host, Liz Bentley. Hey everyone, how are we? Before I get started, I just want to plug my Patreon, Liz Explains It All. You can go to patreon.com slash Liz Explains. I have, I counted the other day. I have like 156 episodes over there. For comparison, I've done, um, I think like 210 episodes of Feathers in My Hair (laughs) in four years. And I've done 160 almost episodes over on there. That's how much content there is. Uh, (laughs) there's a lot. So I, this week, well, last week I did the movie A Courtship, which is a documentary about purity culture. It's, A really good doc. Honestly, even if you don't sign up for the Patreon, I recommend going on Amazon Prime and watching A Courtship because it's an interesting spin on purity culture. Like, the angle they go with, the way that they look at it is unique, in my opinion, and interesting. I recommend the film. I talked about that last week. This week, I am talking about the most recent three episodes of Sister Wives, which will be that birthday episode the Mary and Cody anniversary episode and then whatever airs Sunday. So the day that you're listening to this. Guys, (laughs) I like how hard Sister Rive slaps this year. I, I don't know why producers have decided to do this, but I'm so grateful for it. Mary and Cody are straight up admitting they're no longer a couple. Mary says we are not a couple, but I'm part of this family. They are fully saying that They are not married anymore. Like, I am shocked. I have so many questions. I really think, like, the anniversary date thing they go on is the most real scene that we've ever seen on Sister Wives in the 15 fucking seasons that the show has been on. It is so good. And I really like talking about it in multiple episodes at a time because I, look, even though Sister Wives is, like, totally awesome this season, it's still Sister Wives. It's not that, you know, it's. Honestly, the way that I should be watching Teen Mom, right? Recapping three episodes at a time. (laughs) But I have a weekly podcast here, so I don't do that. Um, I think that's what Jody and Amanda do. They do like three episodes of Teen Mom at a time. And it's a good idea, honestly. It's a good way to cover this show. But yeah, so I'll be doing that. And then next week, I am going to talk about the Demi Lovato YouTube documentary, which (sighs) I haven't watched yet because I'm watching to. Well, first I was waiting to watch it just all at once because I don't really care to watch four 20-minute episodes like each week, but I want to watch it closer to when I'm recording so that it's fresh in my head uh, because this week, like I watched Teen Mom on Thursday afternoon and it's Saturday morning when I'm recording. I just had to rewatch it because even though I took notes, it's gone from memory. (laughs) I like realized, I was like, oh my God, I don't think I remember anything that I watched this week on this show so I'm waiting to watch the Demi documentary but obviously I've read the headlines and the interviews and all that shit and her California sober thing which by the way California sober like has a definition and that definition does not include drinking and so it's really annoying to me that she has like co-opted that term to include drinking and that the media is now calling California sober like drinking and smoking pot because California sober means smoking pot and being an AA. Like the reason that California sober is a thing is because it's like in reference to being sober from alcohol and that like the idea is like the people that are sober but still smoking pot because you can be an AA and smoke pot like that is controversial to some people. But The thing with AA is that, like, the only thing that AA claims that they address is alcohol. And the only requirement for membership is a desire to stop drinking. Um, They only talk about alcohol. They say alcohol in all forms, which most people have taken to include drugs. But they are only talking about alcohol. So you can be sober in AA and smoke weed or do whatever. And so California Sober is like, I'm sober, but I smoke pot. Drinking is not California sober. Um, so that's a whole thing. And I don't know, I have a lot of thoughts on harm reduction, on alt recovery, on judging people's journeys, on basically Demi in general and like what, why her career is talking about sobriety and alcohol. And I just am really excited to dive into it. I think my takes might surprise people. Um, I've really, in the last couple of years, come around pretty hard to um, everybody having their own journey and harm reduction and moderation. And it might, that's not my path, but I've come to really. be a lot less judgmental than I used to be when I first got sober and probably when I started this podcast when I was sober was I when I started this podcast I don't remember I mean I guess I was like three if I'm having seven years okay so I guess I was like two and a half years sober when I started this podcast around there and I think I was a lot more judgmental that sober meant like a hundred percent abstinence from all mind-altering substances and while that's still the journey that I'm on personally. Um, I have now seen being exposed to less AA and more other ways. I've seen people successfully be able to drink in moderation, be able to smoke pot, do things in moderation that's not their drug of choice and be successful. So who am I to say that that's not recovery? So yeah, I'm looking forward to talking about that. My friend Matilda is going to join me. She's a Demi Lovato stan. So she has a lot of knowledge on like Demi Lovato's career that I don't necessarily have. And I'm excited to talk about it. Demi's really, she's caused a lot of controversy. (laughs) She's kicked up a lot of controversy. And something that I feel like is that a lot of people don't know anything about harm reduction. And what harm reduction is and that everybody gets to have their own path. And so I'm hoping that productive conversations can come out of the dummy doc, but I'm not so sure that they will based on what I've seen. So yeah, go to patreon.com/lizexplains to hear me talk about sister Ives, Demi Lovato, and a million other topics. So, let's should we talk about teen mom now? Like what's going on in teen mom world? There's some Janelle news. You guys I'm sure you've realized listening to this that I've really fallen off of caring about Janelle in general, which I'm sure is annoying to people, but here's my thing. Janelle is no longer on Team Mom, so I don't feel like I need to cover every move that she does because of she's not part of the show. Um, yeah, she's like obviously a big part of the Team Mom greater universe, which is why I still talk about her a little bit. Kind of like I do with Farrah. Oh my God. <laughs> suddenly out of breath because I forgot that I had, um, like my delicates in the dryer and I heard it go off. And so I had to pop up and pull them out of the dryer before they started wrinkling. And I like climbed around my bed to do it. And now I am out of breath because I have not been doing any yoga and I'm out of shape. All I've been doing is walking and I need to be exercising more. Anyway, I just don't care that much about Janelle. Here's like, my thing is like, I don't want to cover Janelle because I don't care to just like spend all of my time talking about racist pieces of shit. Like Janelle and David are so bad. It's not fun bad like I don't know if Janelle was ever like if I like was honest I don't know if it was ever like fun I don't think that's that I mean it was fun for me but it probably shouldn't have been (laughs) you know it shouldn't have been fun but it was. But like David and Janelle are so awful, like so, 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 so awful that I just don't really care to closely follow what's going on with her. I don't find it interesting. She was involved in some podcast with, I don't know, I don't, I don't even understand. There was like 20 other people involved. It was called Girl Shit. They didn't even launch an episode and Janelle got fired before they launched the episode because Janelle's a bad person. Um, I do think it's kind of bullshit. Like, they knew who Janelle... I guess someone from 90 Day Fiance was part of this. And they're like, oh my god, we had no idea that she was like this. And it's like, do one Google on Janelle. (laughs) Anytime, like, Janelle is hired somewhere and then she gets fired and they're like, um, we did not know about this. It's like, one single Google will pull up Nugget on the first page. You know what I mean? Like, one single Google will pull up all of her misgivings. So... I just, like, I find her to be too dark in a way that isn't entertaining to me. There's no entertainment value for me, like, on top of the awfulness. It's just awfulness, which makes me not really want to follow her. And because she's not on the show, I don't feel like I really need to keep up with her life. Like, people, she's doing a YouTube series about when she left David and then got back with him. I guess she's put up seven episodes, which actually I'm, like, I'm honestly kind of proud of her for following through on so many episodes. <laughs> That's probably the most content she's ever produced in her life. So like Mazel to Janelle for that. But I don't care. I'm not watching it. I don't like Janelle's a bad person. I don't really want. She's not interesting enough for me to give her views on top of being a bad person. I will give bad people views. As you guys know, I'm not above that. I mean, look at all the assholes I watch on YouTube. You know, like, I watched this fucking show. I, I'm i not claiming that, like, I'm, I'm above watching someone because they're a bad person. But for me, the entertainment value has to override, like, my disgust for that person. Disgust has to come slightly below being entertained. Is this ethical? I'm sure absolutely not. Is this, like, fucked up of me? Yeah, of course it is. I'm aware. I'm aware. But... I just like Janelle doesn't she doesn't override the interesting no longer overrides or the entertaining no longer overrides the awfulness. So I've just really stepped back from her. But this week, so like, that's why I don't care about this podcast thing. I don't care about the YouTube series. I'm not regularly posting about Janelle on my Instagram feathers underscore pod. Follow me there. Uh, She has come up on my TikTok like once or twice. She's actually doing really fucking well on TikTok. Like. I'm kind of shocked at how well she's doing. TikTokers don't make a ton of money off of views, but like based on her views and articles I've read, I can imagine that she's making like a thousand or two thousand dollars a month over there on TikTok. She's getting millions of views. Um, And I've seen I've had a lot of people be like, I don't get it. Why do people like her? She's awful. And it's like people don't follow teen mom news. I think that people who care about teen mom like greatly overestimate how much anybody else cares or knows about the people on Teen Mom. So for Janelle, I think there are a bunch of people who watched seasons one, two, or three, you know, like the shit that's on Netflix now. And she was bad, but not irredeemable at that time. Um, I mean, (laughs) kind of. She kind of was. But I think that if you only watched those and then you happen to find Janelle on TikTok, who is presenting her life as this like happy mom. She has all of these kids at her house. Jace is there all the time. We're going to talk about Jace in a minute. And like she pretends like her and David are so happy together. And she's like, I have body confidence, even though I don't know if she does. Actually, I don't know. People like are. So the thing with Janelle is that she has always like fat shamed other people and been awful to other people. So everybody is convinced that Janelle has to hate herself because she's fat now. But the thing is, it's like, I don't think Janelle hates herself. This girl is like always in a bikini online. She's dancing in a bikini. Like, I really don't think that Janelle lacks confidence in her body because she's gained weight. And I don't think her making fun of other people for being fat is like an indicator that, She must hate herself for being fat because I don't, Janelle is just calling people fat like to attack them. I think people need to understand how removed from reality Janelle is and how little self awareness she has. So Janelle in one breath can be like, you are a fat bitch to somebody and then be like, oh my God, body positivity. I love myself. Haters back off. I look so good and truly mean both of those things. (laughs) Like, Janelle doesn't operate like the rest of us, which I've always talked about on here. You can't apply logic to Janelle. So logic would say if when Janelle was thin and she made fun of people for being fat, she would then be unhappy for being fat. But uh, that's not really the case, I'm pretty sure. A lot of people, this bothers people, the idea that she's okay with being fat. I think that really makes people angry. Um, Like, there's so many body shaming posts about her on Reddit, People are attacking her body. My thing is, it's like I, I, she wouldn't be dressing the way that she does and dancing in bikinis on TikTok if she really had a problem with her body. She's obviously confident enough to do that. And I don't think that like Janelle calling Kale fat, I don't think that she can like self-reflect. She just said it to hurt them. It's not like she, I just, I don't think Janelle hates herself now that she's fat. Like a lot of people seem to think. Okay, now where are we? Janelle's killing it on TikTok. Oh, the reason that people, like, I think what happens is people just find her TikTok after not seeing her for 10 years and are like, oh my God, she's fun. Oh, I like her. Her kids are cute. She lives on this big property. Like, cool, cool, cool. It's not any deeper than that. I think people, like, desperately want this, like, deep explanation for why Janelle has fans on TikTok. And it's because they don't really know her. like it's, it really is that simple. They watch 25 second videos of her. They don't know about Nugget. They don't know about her husband. They don't know. There's also like a lot of conservative people on TikTok. Like I don't really get Janelle on my feed, but I bet Republicans get her on their feed. You know, the people just don't care. They either don't know or they don't care. That's why she's successful over there. Okay, so what's the latest story? It came out this week that Janelle had filed for sole custody of Jace at the end of January because Jace has been setting fires at Barbara's house and physically attacking Barbara. That's how I feel about that. I, that is deeply sad to me. One, apparently this, like a big thing, A big fight between Jace and Barbara happened, and then he set fire to a carpet back in December. Do you remember? Did I talk about it on this podcast? I don't know. I'm pretty sure I at least posted about it on Instagram. Janelle was claiming that she had full custody of Jace on TikTok and then was like, yeah, my mom gave me full custody. And then, like, a couple weeks later, she said her mom had taken back custody. So I guess this fire happened in December. Jace goes to the land, and then Barbara and Janelle get in a fight, so Jace goes back to Barbara's. Fire setting is extremely concerning. Um, There's also a history of that in their family. Janelle's brother set fire to their home when he was probably around Jace's age. Because I think Janelle was like eight or nine. I think Colin was like 12 or 13. And I believe after that, he went to residential treatment. Like he no longer lived in their home is my understanding that the family ends up moving to North Carolina and Colin was in residential treatment. So that's worrisome um that he's setting fires we've known that he's been violent for quite a while um they've been talking about jace hitting barbara for years there is that weird comment that nate randomly made a little bit ago about how violent jace is and how he doesn't like kaiser around jace it's really it's really upsetting do i think that jace should go live with janelle no like i i <laughs> The answer to Jace's problems is not to go live with Janelle and David. Like, I, that really worries me. I think that it's not good with Barbara, and I I don't think Barbara has the tools to care for Jace, but I don't think Janelle and David have the tools to care for Jace. I think that Jace is probably still, like, in Disneyland mode when he's at Janelle's, which is why he behaves when he's over there, and I think that they also give him no rules would be my guess, and I, like... I feel like if you go back and listen to early, early Feathers in My Hair episodes, you will hear me talking about the fact that I think that Jace will eventually want to live with Janelle. This always like pisses people off when I say it. But I, Janelle is not going to have rules in her house and Barbara has rules. And so I've always kind of assumed that when Jace hit teenager, he would go and live with Janelle and then probably float back and forth between Barbara and Janelle because Barbara has rules and Barbara yells a lot and Barbara can be mean. And I think that when Jace goes to Janelle's house, he gets to play video games as long as he wants. He gets well, also there's like other kids there. So he gets to play with them. Remember, Barbara's like in her Late 60s, if not in her early 70s now. I think she's in her late 60s, and his cousin Gabriel's around sometimes, but like it's probably fun for him on the land to get to hang out with Kaiser, Marissa, and Ensley and play video games whenever he wants. And she probably doesn't make him do homework. I just don't think that there are rules at Janelle's house. So Jace is still like in Disneyland mode when he goes over there and acting like. Not on his best behavior, but he hasn't had to rebel against Janelle and David would be my guess, which is why he is having fun over there and why Janelle is like, he doesn't act like this here. I would imagine if he does go to live there full time and some rules are instated, if that happened, I don't know. I don't know what Jace living there full time would look like, but if it did, I'm sure he would probably have problems with that too because Jace has behavioral issues. What's the answer for Jace? I don't know. I don't know. Janelle getting sole custody, I don't think, is the answer. But it seems like he's having a really hard time at Barbara's house. I don't necessarily really believe in residential treatment. I think oftentimes it does more harm than good. So I hope that he's not going to residential treatment. I hope it's not that case. But (sighs) poor Jace. It's just, it's really sad because he's now getting to the age where there's going to be some real consequences for his behavior. You know, Jace is, I think, 10. I think he'll be 11 in this summer. When is Jace's birthday? I don't... I think... But I think he's 10. I think if Leah Shirley is 12, that makes Jace 10 turning 11, I believe. So Jace is, like, either 10 or 11. And this is when, you know, there starts to be a lot more consequences for behavior. And this is when law enforcement could start getting involved soon. Once Chase is 12, 13, 14, and he's setting fires and he's physically assaulting his caregivers. It's not good. I've kind of always assumed that this would happen because he has had behavioral issues for so long. I mean, they've, They've been talking about this since he was like five or six, right? And even remember when he was in preschool and he would just like curse all of the time. He was always saying fuck and they couldn't get him to stop doing it. Oh, poor Jace. I just worry that Jace is about to hit the system and never be able to leave it. Like I, I really think that that's a real concern and it should be a concern that soon in the next two to three years, Jace is going to start getting arrested and eventually he'll be in juvie. And then once you're in juvie as a teen, it's really hard to be a successful adult. You know, institutionalizing children is bad. <laughs> it really just sets them up to be institutionalized as adults. A lot of adults in prison were in juvenile facilities as kids. And it just, it sucks. It sucks that is 10 and I'm like already seeing a very sad life flash before his eyes, before his eyes, before my eyes. And I hope, beyond hope, that, like, somehow they're able to help Jace. I just don't, I don't know what that help looks like. And I definitely don't think, though, it's living with Janelle and David. (laughs) Okay, we will talk about this week's episode right after a quick break. Hey everyone, I'm really excited to talk to you about today's sponsor, Feathers in My Hair, because you guys know that I love my bed. Guess where I'm sitting right this very second recording this ad? Yep, I'm sitting in my bed. When Helix reached out and asked if they could send me a mattress, I said, Of course, my old mattress was fine. It was comfy, but it was way too soft. It was so soft. You guys know I have back problems and it just hurt my back every morning to wake up. I was in the market for a new mattress and really excited to try it out. I hopped on the Helix site and took their two-minute sleep quiz, which I appreciated because I do have a lot of preferences and I was a little nervous about getting a mattress online. I'm a side sleeper. I want it firm, but I also want to feel comfortable when I get in bed. And the quiz took all those things into account. Thanks to the sleep quiz, you know that you are getting the best possible mattress for you. Helix has soft, medium, firm mattresses and even has a cooling option if you're a hot sleeper like I am. Helix cares about everyone getting the mattress that works best for them and has options for all body types, including plus size. I took the Helix quiz and it recommended me the Midnight Luxe. It's a perfect combo of firm, but still really comfortable. You know, I get into bed every night and just feel like, ah, that's comfortable, but I wake up in the morning and my back doesn't hurt because it's firm too. So if you're looking for a mattress, you should check out Helix and take the quiz and see what they recommend for you. It comes shipped right to your door. Just go to helixsleep.com/feathers. Take their 2-minute sleep quiz and they'll match you to a customized mattress that will give you the best sleep of your life. They've a 10-year warranty and you get to try it out for 100 days risk-free. They'll even pick it up for free if you don't like it, but trust me, you will. Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com/feathers. That's helixsleep.com slash F-E-A-T-H-E-R-S. I'm just gonna quickly talk about Cheyenne because this was a one boring episode from her to a weird episode. Like this was edited together. Very weird, I think. I really I don't think that Cheyenne actually yelled at her sister the way that they showed it on the show. That's some choppy editing and I'm going to stand by that. But basically, this whole episode is Cheyenne being really nervous, waiting for genetic tests to come back. Why her and Zach were not getting genetic tests before they got pregnant, I'm not sure. Because it wasn't really an accident that they got pregnant, right? Like, it wasn't actually an accident. I don't even think they're really pretending like it was an accident. They got back together and they wanted to have kids and get married. Fine. They did it very quick. I'm not really sure why they didn't for genetic testing beforehand so they didn't have to worry about this but uh, Cheyenne finds out that she's a carrier for v which I I figured she got tested after Ryder did de- I was surprised that she hadn't been tested before because even Corey's like well you knew your test would come back positive because for Ryder to have it Corey and Cheyenne both have to be a carrier for it so now they're waiting on Zach's test results to come back basically Without Zach's test results, if Zach is not a carrier, then the baby will not have it, but has like a one in four chance of being a carrier for this. V-Cloud, I guess, is an issue with processing fats. I don't know if it's like a lifelong thing. They don't really seem that concerned about Ryder. Like Ryder doesn't seem to have a lot of issues uh, that like, how do I want to say this? (laughs) It just doesn't seem like V-Cloud has had a big effect. The older she gets as a kid, she was in the hospital a lot and had so many issues. But I know that there are certain things that, like, can be really bad for babies as kids, babies and toddlers, but then they, like, start to grow out as they get older. And my boss's daughter had something with, like, the way that proteins, like, protein enzymes broke down and was on, like, this super strict diet for the first, like, four years of her life. Like, extremely bad, extremely, like, serious issues. And then they were able to slowly start introducing food. And I think that she, like, eats almost totally normal now because her body just, like, grow. I don't know if grows out of it is the right word. So I don't know if that's what's happening with Ryder, but they don't seem to have to go to doctor's appointments a lot. It doesn't seem like they are really concerned about with the food she eats. She doesn't need to be on a special diet. Maybe she does and they just don't show it on MTV, but it doesn't seem to be a huge part of their life. So I just wonder... I'm not saying that she shouldn't be concerned about her son uh, possibly having this, but I'm just curious about, like, what it looks like for Ryder as she gets older, if it's something that's always going to be an issue or if it's something that only really impacts her as a baby and toddler. But they are unsure if Zach has it. Cheyenne is super stressed, which, like, yeah, I totally get it. I I would be very stressed, too, but I just don't really understand why she wouldn't. She knows she's a carrier because her daughter has it. So I don't really get why they wouldn't genetic test Zach beforehand. And if they found out he is a carrier, then there are probably options, I would imagine, like embryo harvesting and doing genetic tests on embryos and things like that, that would prevent this. I don't know. I don't I don't really get it. (laughs) But she's super stressed. Uh, Zach goes and talks to his brother. Have we seen his brother before? Because Sh- Zach's brother's hot. Did everybody else see that? <laughs> he's very handsome. I was like, oh, shit. Like, he is really good looking, Zach's brother. Zach, I think, is, I think he's fine looking. I don't really, I feel very neutral towards Zach. But his brother, good looking. So, yeah, I, I just don't really, there's not much going on in Cheyenne's life. And I think that because that, she, you know, <laughs> Feel like I'm stumbling on my words but there's Cheyenne has a pretty normal life and I think that it's making for a boring tv this season there is this scene so Cheyenne is with her mom and her sister and she's just talking about how stressed she is and how awful this is and how long it took and then she's talking about how hard this pregnancy is and her legs are so itchy and her sister Kyle is like oh my god, when I was pregnant, my legs were so itching, like, is telling this story. And then Cheyenne just yells, shut up! Nobody cares about you! It's so weird that I, I real, I even watched this twice to really see if I could tell if it was edited. And it is a choppy scene. And it's just such a bizarre reaction. <laughs> it makes no sense. Like, where Cheyenne yells it makes Zero sense. Also, I've never gotten the impression that Cheyenne is like that. Yes, I know there's a video of her yelling at TSA agents. I know. I know. I get it. I know. But we've never on camera on MTV seen Cheyenne treat her family that way. I mean, we've seen her like flip out at Zach when she was drunk. But like, we haven't seen her talk to Kyle like that. And I know that sisters can fight in a way that only sisters can fight. It just... Didn't make sense in the context. And I just can't imagine Cheyenne like just screaming over Kyle to like shut up and that nobody cares about her. I don't know. I feel like that was edited in. Like that she was that was like about something else. Like I wonder if they were talking about someone else and Cheyenne was like, oh, shut up. Nobody cares about you. Like explaining how she felt about somebody else. I think that's probably what happened. But it made Cheyenne look like a real bitch. I'll be honest. (laughs) And if that's how it happened, Cheyenne, you owe your sister an apology because you sounded like a real bitch when you did that. And it was actually quite mean what she did. So, yeah, the whole episode is just Cheyenne being nervous and waiting for the genetic tests. And, of course, I hope that Zax comes back negative and that little, um, what's his name, AD, little baby Ace is okay and does not have V-clad. I would imagine that that's a really big concern. Look, they're obviously not that concerned about Ryder's health because they are not taking the pandemic that seriously. And it used to be like if Ryder gets a fever, they were like, if Ryder gets a fever, she has to go to the hospital because she could have seizures and die. And considering one of the symptoms of COVID is fevers, um, it doesn't seem like they're that concerned is all I'll say about that. (laughs) Okay. Oops, this is not where my notes are. Who should we talk about next? Actually, I feel like this was a pretty good episode besides Cheyenne. I'm like, let me get all the boring people out of the way. But everybody had some some things to talk about. So let's go to Mac McKee next, who this was tough. (laughs) This was a tough episode for Mac McKee. We find out that Josh is still gone and this is about Bronx being bad now. Mac has always talked about how bad her children are. That's like one of her things (laughs) that her children behave very badly. Um, I think that parenting is not really a priority for Mackenzie. Um, I think, if, especially as far as, like, authoritative parenting, I think that Mackenzie likes to, like, make TikTok videos with the kids. I'm not saying she doesn't love her kids, but I think that for the first couple of years of Gannon and then Jaxie's life, I think Angie was the one that was, like, really in charge of raising those kids. I mean, Mackenzie's still very young. She had Jaxie when she was... 20 I think and then Bronx when she was like 23 she had this not shit husband and Josh like we know Josh doesn't help her with raising the kids at all and I'm pretty sure her family especially Angie is like a big part of raising those kids and I think that Mackenzie just like isn't sure really how to parent which is sad I think that she is probably very overwhelmed that she has three kids and has to single parent them I think that she probably always just assumed that her mom would be there to help her and her mom not being there has been really hard. Also, like, these poor kids. No wonder Bronx is acting like a nightmare. Like, their life has been so upended. You know, I get why Mackenzie moved to Florida and I don't, I don't judge her for it. Like, I, I don't think it was the wrong choice necessarily because I don't think staying in Oklahoma would be significantly better for her and her children, but like her kids have been through a lot in the last year. A lot, a lot, which at the end when she's talking to like a behavioral therapist, that therapist brings up and Mackenzie seems kind of like shocked by it a little bit. (laughs) But like these poor kids, well, first they watched their grandma, their beloved grandmother be very sick for, how long was Angie sick for? Like two years. So they spent like two years really with their lives revolving around Angie being sick. I don't see that as an insult. Like that's what had to happen. Angie was sick and their lives started revolving around it. That's what happens when you have a sick person in your family. It's very common. Their lives revolve around it. Then she gets really sick. Then she dies. Mackenzie is so depressed. Well, even back up after Mackenzie had Bronx was when she had threatened to kill herself to Josh. And Josh was like, just do it when the kids aren't here. And that was when Angie at one point, like, took the kids from her. Like, that's when things were really bad. So Gannon is, like, eight and Bronx is, like, four. So basically when Jaxie, let's say Gannon and Jaxie were four and two. And then this baby is born and their mom is so depressed that she can't get out of bed. Okay. Then mom starts to get better. Grandma gets cancer. Then grandma dies. Then grandma can't get out of, or then mom can't get out of bed for quite a while. And then in the midst of that, mom and dad are breaking up and getting back together a million times. They have no idea if dad is going to be here or not. It's a really, really unstable home life for them. Those kids do not have a stable home life, which is kind of, like, I don't want to say it's Mackenzie's fault because it's not Mackenzie's fault. But I think that those kids could really be helped by Mackenzie taking care of her mental health. Um, you know, I'm so concerned about when she said how in Oklahoma she couldn't get out of bed and now in Florida she's up doing things every single day. Like, Mackenzie's swings. Her moods swing really badly. And I think Mackenzie really needs to get serious about taking care of her mental health because I think it's having a really big impact on her kids. And, you know, as somebody that has, like, a depressed mom, it's not great when your mom, like, doesn't leave bed for a while. <laughs> My mom got up and went to work every day, but she, like, went to bed every day as soon as she got home for many years. And it definitely, like, impacts you. And I just, I worry for her kids a lot. I'm really glad that Mackenzie has decided to get help for Bronx. But I'm curious about, like, what kind of follow-through Mackenzie will ever have. I don't think Mackenzie's, like, a follow-through person. And I also wonder if she will be... She'll have trouble, like, treating her kids' mental health stuff or behavioral health stuff um, while ignoring her own. Also, like, she's going to swing down. Like, she's not – the Florida high is not going to last forever, and I worry about what her life will look like when she can't get out of bed in Florida because that's something that happens to Mackenzie regularly. It doesn't have to be her mom dying or postpartum depression, but, like, something's probably going to happen. And if she's not treating her mental health, she's going to get a bad depressive episode again. And in Oklahoma, like her sisters or her mom could come pick up the kids, you know, like she had a social support network. I know a lot of people have a lot of shit to talk about her family and I don't necessarily disagree with it all. But one thing is, is that they were there physically. They may not be the best people in the world, but they were there for Mackenzie. And I don't know what Mackenzie's going to do when she's in Florida and can't get out of bed. Like who does she have in Florida that's going to come take care of her kids? Is she just going to like have her sister fly down and then take the kids back to Oklahoma? I don't know. I'm worried for them. But Basically, in this episode, they let us know that Bronx is behaving really badly. Mackenzie has no childcare in Florida, just proving what I said. Like, I don't know what she's going to do when she's having a depressive episode. She's a meeting in her boss's house and she has to bring the kids. Okay, her badass kids. (laughs) I don't think her kids are bad. I think her kids behave very badly and I don't think it's their fault. I think it's everybody else's fault. She has them over there and she's trying to talk to her boss, or, but like her kids are screaming. She's worn down. Oh, we also find out that um, Bronx, this is so bad. Bronx is physically hurting other kids like a lot, like drawing blood from his classmates. He bit his teacher every single day. They call her to tell her about an issue that he's having. I I'm surprised they're still letting him come to school if he's like, that much of a threat to the other kids. It's kind of scary. I think he's still in preschool. I don't think he's in kindergarten yet. So I'm kind of surprised they are even letting him come there. But Mackenzie's like, you know, they really miss their dad when their their dad's here. Everything is great. Which, once again, I don't believe. I don't believe Mackenzie when she says that. I think that she is trying to convince us and maybe also herself that everything is great when Josh is there. But I don't see how that's possible because we see Josh and we see Josh and Mackenzie together. (laughs) Everything actually doesn't look great when Josh is there. It doesn't. It just seems like bullshit is all I have to say about that. Like, it seems like major bullshit that Mackenzie wants us to believe that when Josh is there, everything between the two of them is perfect. I don't I don't see how that's possible. Honestly, it doesn't. It does not seem possible to me. And I also don't believe that the kids don't act out when he's there. Like, I'm sure obviously the kids want their dad there. They love their dad. But like Josh is not there a lot and has not been there a lot in their childhoods. And I think Mackenzie's like greatly overestimating how much like Josh being there will fix everything. I think she's doing this one as a way to punish Josh for coming and going. I think it really upsets her. I think that she's like... Well, Josh, if you were here, this wouldn't be happening. So it's like a way to put fault on him. And I also think that it's it's like the fantasy life of like, well, when Josh and I are good, like things will be with the kids will be good. So all I have to do is fix this thing with Josh and then things with the kids are going to magically be better. I don't see that happening. So Josh or Mackenzie's at her boss's house and a producer comes in and is like bronx shit all over the floor of the garage. Mackenzie's like, what? And they're like, he had diarrhea all over the floor of the garage. Look, I don't mean to laugh, but it's funny. It's funny. It was a funny moment. I felt bad for Mackenzie. Bronx is totally potty trained, but he's having issues. Is he too old for this? Yes, but at the same time, like, Bronx is fucking going through it. As I explained, Bronx, his grandma died. He moved to Florida. His dad is in and out of the picture. He's away from his cousins and his aunts and uncles that have practically raised him and his grandfather. Like yeah, he's having issues, of course, poor Mackenzie. But let me say, Mackenzie's boss was possibly one of the nicest adults that we've ever seen in a Mackenzie McKee segment. He was so caring. He was so non judgmental. He was so patient. He was like, "Let me help you." And she was like, "No, you do not help. Need to help me clean up." And then he was like, "Well, you need like towels and stuff." <laughs> But he sat her back down and he was like, look, my son has autism and getting him help early has been like a total life changer. It's the best thing that we did was get him help early and not wait. And you need to get Bronx help. He was just so he was so caring in a way that I feel like we don't normally see from people in Mackenzie's life. I think that Mackenzie doesn't have a lot of adults that are nonjudgmental with her. And he was so patient and kind and he could have been like a real dick about it and he wasn't and he really encouraged Mackenzie to get help and I was really I was really touched by that scene because I think that this is unique in Mackenzie's life unfortunately. While she does have a strong support network and her family I'm not sure her family is like You need to go see a doctor to get Bronx help. It just be like, oh, he's a boy, he'll grow out of it. He's four, blah, blah, blah. I think that Mackenzie's family, while they're for her physically and they're for her kids, I don't think they validate her a lot. And I think that that boss being like, something's wrong. Like, you know it. Like, you know, there's a problem with Bronx and like, you, you don't have to live like this, it can be very validating for somebody to just be like, yeah, you're right. I think that, unfortunately, Mackenzie has absolutely no self-confidence because her mom... (laughs) You know, R.I.P. and, but we all read that birthday post where she just basically shit on Mackenzie and said that Mackenzie had oppositional defiance disorder and was a terrible child. And how many times did we hear Mackenzie say that, like, I know I was an awful kid and she's just parenting her parents and what they told her. And I think that, like, somebody being like, hey, actually, like, it's okay that Bronx is like this. He's not a bad kid. But like there are options like you can get him help. So she talks to Josh, who, by the way, is on a hunting trip and totally out of cell service, (laughs) which like, does he live in Oklahoma or does he live in Florida? It seems like she still doesn't know. (laughs) I think now he's permanently in Florida, but I guess at this time they still were not sure if he was permanently in Florida or not. So she talks to Josh. Josh goes up to the top of the mountain to talk to talk to her. And they have, like, a very quick phone call before it cuts off. But she's like, we need to get Bronx help. And Josh is like, he's four. I don't see the big deal. Because Josh is not an involved parent, Mackenzie. I can't believe she even, honestly, I can't believe she even, like, kind of went to Josh first. That was surprising to me. But she makes the right choice. She decides, she says, I'm going with my instinct and I'm going to call a therapist. So she calls a a child's therapist. And the therapist was really, really kind to her, I think Mackenzie would benefit so much from therapy because, like, this boss of hers seems to really be the first non-judgmental validating adult in her life, and she could see somebody every week who does that for her. The woman was very kind, and you could tell it, like, really reassured her. Like, she brought up the you know, the bathroom accident and she's like, is this normal? And the lady's like, oh yeah, we see regression all the time. We'll see kids who have been potty trained forever start to have accidents. And like, you could just see like the load come off of Mackenzie's shoulders because Mackenzie is ignorant about a lot of things. Like, I think Mackenzie is quite dumb, honestly. Like I, and I don't really, I mean, yeah, I mean it is an insult a lot of the times, but like right now I don't really mean it as an insult. I just mean like, I don't think Mackenzie has any experience with therapy. I don't think Mackenzie has any experience with like behavioral health stuff. I don't think she has any knowledge in this area. So I think like a qualified professional being like, no, it, it's fine that he's doing that. Well, it's not fine, but it it's totally common that he's doing that. There, We have a way to fix this. We have a way to help him. I think it was probably a huge relief for her. You know, the therapist also was like, I I just, I really liked the therapist, what she said. I'm not a therapist. I don't know if everything she said was right. But I liked this scene. One, I saw some people on Reddit be like, why are you mad at Mackenzie for talking to the therapist on TV? Or not mad at Mackenzie for doing that, but mad at Macy for doing that. I think there's a huge difference between what we saw with Mackenzie and the therapist and what we see with Macy and Bentley's therapist, which I was very upset by. And personally, like, one, Bronx is four, Right? Like, I I don't think, that's not true. I was going to say I don't think a four-year-old needs privacy, but that's absolutely not true. But, like, as far as we know, nothing really, um, basically, like, if Bronx had been, let's, okay. In a hypothetical world, if Bronx had been, like, molested and they were trying to get him help for that, I think that that should be kept private, right? Because Bronx, when he's older, should be allowed to be the one to make that decision. Guys, this did not happen. This is purely hypothetical. But as far as what's happening now with Bronx, I think is not something that necessarily needs privacy because it's just the actions that we're seeing on TV. And we didn't hear anything from Mackenzie that we already did not know. And once again, like he's four, Bentley's 12. There's such a difference between a four-year-old and a 12-year-old. I don't think I need to explain that to anyone who listens to this. But it was also the intake interview. It wasn't like, Well, I met with Bronx and now I'm worried that he has been assaulted or I'm worried about just something that would be a lot more private, honestly. We didn't see that. Everything that Mackenzie said is something that we already know, was already discussed on the show. Bronx's privacy has already been violated by being on this show, and I don't think any extra privacy was violated. I guess that's like, that's the line, right? Like, where's the line when it comes to the way that we judge therapy presented on reality TV for the kids? And I think the line is when there is extra information that we did not know from watching this show. And I think that's what's happening with Bentley. You know, we could guess, but like we didn't need to hear that Bentley feels abandoned by his father. Like we can all guess that. But the things that we heard about Bronx, we already knew. He had diarrhea in somebody's garage He had all of these losses, he's had all of this trauma, and he's having a lot of problems at school. Okay, we didn't learn anything new that shouldn't be shared, I believe. So, you know, the therapist was really nice when Mackenzie was describing what happened. I thought this was really, I bet this was really assuring for Mackenzie. She's you know describing what's going on, and the therapist was, instead of being like, oh yeah, that's very serious, she goes, oh, he's having a really tough time. It was just very empathetic and sweet, and if I was a parent, that's what I would want in a therapist for my child, somebody that understands that, like, he's going through a lot and wants to address his feelings, you know, and not just be like, how do we fix him? The therapist also, like, was very kind towards Mackenzie because she said, well, you know, that's so much changes for all of the kids to go through and all of the adults, too. I would love to see Mackenzie in some, well, obviously her individual therapy, but also in family therapy with the kids. Like, her kids have had a lot of loss. Remember Gannon, like, last season or the season before when he just, like, was majorly having issues and they made him, like, get on camera and, like, talk with her and Josh about how sad he was? That was upsetting. I don't know if we've, like, seen it from Jaxie, but Gannon has some troubles, too, and I would... I would like to see them all get help. They've all had a really hard couple of years. Like they, what happened with Angie is traumatic. I mean, yeah, kids lose grandparents all the time. That's a normal part of the life cycle. But I think there is an extra layer of trauma when the grandparent is lost over a serious illness and that grandparent has obviously significant part in raising you. Like, I was like four when my grandfather died and my dad's father, but he like had a sudden heart attack. It was sad, but I don't really... Well, one of my first memories is actually like he was playing tennis at the shore and we were at the shore house and like my mom answering the phone and then like she was the only one at home. So she put us in the car and like drove down to the yacht club where he was playing tennis and had died on the scene. So that's like one of my first memories. (laughs) But that's all I really remember from it. I don't... I don't really remember my grandfather being alive. Um, I will say when I was watching home videos not that long ago, it was pretty shocking how young he looked. Like, young. You know, he, he was young. I think he was in his 60s. His early 60s, maybe. I mean, he died in, I think, 1992. So he was pretty young and just had a sudden heart attack and died. There are a lot of heart problems in my family. So... But I don't remember that, like, having a major impact on my life. And then, like, when my mom's grandparents died, my mom's parents were very old when they had her. My grandma was, like, 45 when she had my mom. So they were, like, really old, so I wasn't really that close with them. They also lived far away, and by the time I have memories, my grandma already had uh, dementia from Parkinson's and was, like, living in a home, so I don't really like have any memories of her at all and my grandfather I had memories of but I don't know he was like he was so old (laughs) like he was like in his 80s I think when I was like in the early 90s I think he was in his 80s I think he was born in like 1910 so he was really old and um, had a really strong accent and it freaked me out like I don't know I just didn't have any exposure to anybody else like him and he was like kind of weird (laughs) and he was nice but he was like kind of weird and I just like he would buy us stuff and that's what I remember but when he died like I don't know it wasn't that upsetting like he wasn't sick for a long time like my mom had to take care of him constantly and it wasn't like shocking I remember being like sad but it wasn't anything like scarring on my life because I think it was more just like normal life cycle stuff when my grandparents died but I think when like, uh, and you died, that, that was, like, very traumatizing to the children. I think it just depends on, like, the age of the grandparent, how involved they are in their lives. I remember my grandfather's accent, like, really freaked me out. <laughs> my grandparents are from Germany, which I definitely have talked about on here. My grandparents came from Germany in the late 1930s. They were refugees, and, um, it was just Holocaust Remembrance Day the other day, so I was thinking about it and just, like, how sad it must have been when the camps were liberated, and my grandparents, who were very much adults, were watching the camps be liberated and wondering, like, "Oh, are are my parents there?" And they weren't. Of course, they actually didn't even make it to camps. Maybe my great grandmother did. My my grandfather's mom made it to a camp. They're not sure about that, but they all, Most of them died in the ghettos. They got in. They ended up in Poland in the ghettos. Um, So I was thinking about that, but I'm kind of in a unique position because my grandparents were so old that my grandparents were already adults during, like, when they fled. I think my grandfather was in his 30s in 1938 when he left. My grandma was in her early to mid-20s. So, you know, what am I saying? I don't know. My grandparents had strong German accents. (laughs) That's what I'm saying. That apparently my mom didn't know that. My mom and my aunt have both said that they didn't know that their their parents had accents, which I find interesting. But they it was just, like, weird. It was not something that I was used to. So this is really off topic. Why am I talking about my grandparents? <laughs> oh, gosh, oh, gosh. Um, also, I had a great-grandfather alive for a while, my grandma's dad. But he was, like, blind and in a wheelchair. So he kind of freaked me out too. You know, just that thing of like being little and old people freaking you out. Old people really freaked me out as a child is what I'm saying. So I wasn't impacted by them when they died. But I think that Gannon and Jaxie and Bronx are very impacted by Angie. They really lost a parent essentially. And I think beyond that, like just the devastating effect that it, of course, had on Mackenzie. It's just been a ripple effect. I mean, it's very sad. Mackenzie is so young to have her mom die and to have to watch her mom die pretty slowly. It's just just upsetting. And I hope that the whole family gets into therapy. I wonder if Bronx will start going to this therapist and the therapist will recommend that all of them go. I would like to see that. And I hope that Mackenzie is serious about getting him help and taking care of him. Okay, let's go to Caitlyn. Should we talk about Caitlyn next? Yeah, let's talk about Caitlyn, who I've realized this was the first Carly episode of the season, I'm pretty sure. And I like this show a lot better (laughs) when they don't talk about Carly. I was like, oh shit. This is like, we haven't heard about Carly. That's nice. I feel like MTV has really... Accepted that they can move away from talking about Carly in every episode and that Kate and Tyler have enough in their lives that we don't need to hear about Carly all the time. I think that now we're hearing an appropriate amount about Carly because I think that most likely, I mean, I don't know, I've never done it, but I would imagine giving a child up for adoption comes up regularly throughout the rest of your life, but not all of the time every day, especially when it's been... 12 years you have two more children soon to be a third child like I think it's nice that MTV is like finally allowed us as an audience to just like experience Caitlin and Tyler independent of being the parents that gave Carly up for adoption right because that was their thing for so long is that their whole storyline was Carly because they didn't have any other kids and that's what the show is about being a parent so it had to revolve around Carly And now we can just watch, like, Kate and Tyler struggle with Nova and their parents and their siblings, and I think it's a lot more interesting. But in this episode, Dawn comes over. Oh, Dawn. Oh, Dawn, 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 Dawn. First of all, Bethany Christian Services is bad. (laughs) You guys know that they're, like, connected to Betsy DeVos DeVos and... They got a lot of the children that were separated from their parents at the border and were responsible for losing some of them, I believe. It's just a bad, it's a bad, bad, bad organization. But Dawn comes over and she's like, you know, I was looking at the original notes and just like how sure Tyler was of giving her up and how unsure Caitlin was. <laughs> we know. We get a little flashback over the years. We find out that they haven't seen Carly in two years, she says, because of COVID. This episode frustrated me. I really wish I could have popped into this episode and held Kate's hand and told Kate some things because Dawn did not do it and Tyler some things. I think that Caitlin and Tyler are ready to let go of Carly. I think they've been ready to let go of her for a little while. I think it was evidence that, I think that after the last visit, remember the last visit, which was pretty dark where they like, they were super late to seeing her and were like obsessed with this scrapbook. I kind of think that that visit kind of showed Kate that she is, I don't want to say she's moved on because I don't think she'll ever move on from giving a child up for adoption. But I think that she's at a point and Tyler definitely is he essentially says it later where she's at a point where like it's okay if she doesn't see Carly and that while she loves Carly and she has a special place in her heart for Carly that like she's a mom to these two kids she's a wife to Tyler she's doing her microblading like I think for the first time in Kate's life she feels very fulfilled by being Caitlyn, and doesn't need Carly as part of that I think that that's a very healthy place to be personally I think that that has probably been the goal all along right like to be at a place where you can just like have love in your heart for Carly but not have the devastation of the adoption ruling over it and honestly come to the point where it's like okay we don't we don't need to see her you know we don't necessarily I feel like that sounds cold But I think that it sounds cold. It sounds really cold. And I don't, I hope I'm like explaining myself well. I don't think Kate and Ty are like (laughs) over Carly. Like, oh, thank God they're over her. Like it's a breakup. But I do think that maybe Kate has realized like seeing Carly is actually upsetting. And it's not really a positive experience for her. And it doesn't really seem to be like something that Carly's interested in. So it's okay if they don't see her. You know, and, like, maybe one day they'll see each other. But, like, I think that Kate is ready to let Carly go in that aspect. I think before, the visits were always kind of, like, a hope that, like, magically Carly would, like, want to come home with them. And, like, magically they're going to have this great relationship with Brandon and Teresa. And, like, everything's going to be lovey-dovey. And I think that they have kind of accepted that's not going to happen. And that they – it's not that they – Kate doesn't want to put in the effort, I think. I think it's that she – I think Kate wants somebody to be like, it's okay that you don't want to see Carly. I really think that she wants that. Tyler definitely wants that. They need somebody to be like, yeah, that's okay, actually. Like, they shouldn't totally abandon her, like, if Carly wants to talk to them. But, like, they don't need their lives and their feelings to revolve around Carly anymore. They don't because Carly has a loving family of her own. And while... I think Kate and Tyler will always love Carly and care for her and always be there if Carly wants to talk to them. I think that it's okay if Kate and Tyler for their mental health need to stop with this thing of like really wanting to see her, especially if they feel like seeing her is upsetting to them, you know, like that is best for their mental health. And it doesn't seem like Brandon and Teresa are like that into seeing Kate and Tyler either. So maybe this is like the healthiest thing for them right now. You know, Carly's about to be a teenager. It's a hard time. And I wish that someone validate them because Dawn did not validate them. You know, Dawn was like, could you ever imagine what she was like as a 12 year old? And Kate's like, well, you know, we still don't really know what she's like as a 12 year old because they don't have any communication with Brandon and Teresa. And Dawn's like, well, why? And Kate's like, well, you know, like I don't think they really want us involved. So I feel like giving them space is the best thing. I wish that Dawn had heard what Kate was saying there. I think what Kate is saying is Brandon and Teresa want space and I want space too. And so we've kind of came to this place and we're all okay with it. But instead, Dawn's like, oh my god, no. You know, you need to be reaching out to them. And Tyler... Tyler's weird in this episode. He goes, oh, so we should constantly be reaching out to them. That's what we should be doing. (laughs) Dawn goes, well, I don't I don't know about constantly. (laughs) Uh, Basically, Dawn is like, you need to reach out to Brandon and Teresa. You need to have a relationship with them. You need to have a relationship with Carly. And I wish Dawn had been like, "Okay." You're not talking to them like that's okay. Maybe it's not forever. Maybe in a couple years they'll reach out to you or you'll want to reach out to them. But if this is what's working for everyone right now, you, Tyler, Brandon, Teresa, and Carly, good. Then that's okay. I think it's one of those things, and I've been thinking about this for a long time with Kate and Tyler. I really thought about it in that episode where they went to see her, where I just wish that somebody would be like, Hey, Kate, it's okay that you don't want to see Carly that's fine, actually. Because I think that she feels very guilty over it when they have to talk about it. And I can imagine, you know, it's similar to like, I don't know. I don't really know what it's, I'm trying to think of like a good metaphor. But like when you have a family member that is really toxic to you, for whatever reason, Even if it's not necessarily their fault and brings you a lot of grief and really disrupts your life and seeing them hasn't added anything positive to your life, you know, sometimes it can be really validating to hear someone be like, okay, well, you don't have to call your mom. You don't have to talk to your mom. Okay. Okay. Your mom makes you upset. You don't have to talk to her. There's no obligation for you to talk to her if she's impacting your life this much. And I wish that somebody would say that to Caitlin and Tyler. There's no obligation. And they can be in as little touch with her as they want. I think it would be fucked up if, like, they had a really regular relationship with Carly. But let's be real. They've seen Carly, what, six times in her life? I don't think that they, them not being there has a major impact on Carly. Because she's only seen them once in the last four to five years, I think. Because before they saw her last time, they hadn't seen her in over two years, I'm pretty sure. So, the slow fade has been working for them and Dawn encouraging them to reach back out, I think was a bad move. I really do. I really think it was a bad move. I think that Kate is like finally in a good place and Tyler's in a good place-ish and they should keep going with it. But Kate does reach out. She asks if they can send Carly a digital picture frame, which Teresa said, yeah, she thinks she'll love it. And she said that she wanted to write Carly a letter and that she was going to include like an envelope and some stamps if Carly wanted to write back to her. I think that's totally fine and appropriate. I mean, I don't know. I'm not an expert on any of this shit, but I think that that's probably a decent way to reach out to Carly that's respectful to Brandon and Teresa because they can read the letter, you know, and they they can have a part of the decision if Carly writes back or not. But also it's like, hey... Here's the option if you want to reach us. Great. If you don't, okay. Kate even says like, you know, maybe she won't want to talk to us ever again. Like maybe she won't want us in her life at all. And it seems sad, but I think that's huge progress because they went from, you know, when they gave up Carly, they really had the mentality of, like, she's just going to come back to us. Like, we're, give, we're, we're putting her on loan to Brandon and Teresa. Maybe she'll spend summers with us. Maybe she'll want to live here. Like, they really had this fantasy that Carly was going to be a permanent, regular figure in their lives. And that Brandon and Teresa were just, like, helping them out. And, like, I think it's okay and it's good that Kate's, like well, maybe we just don't have a part in her life and she doesn't seem destroyed by it. She seems to be accepting it. And I would imagine Kate being happy in her life, like starting a career that she cares about, happy with her kids that she's raising. I think she's realizing like, this is okay. You know, like it it hurts and it'll probably always hurt a little bit, but things are okay. So then we find out that Kate and Tyler um, have started, well, Kate started a, Oh, well, first of all, hold on first, they talk about the fact that Tyler doesn't like Brandon and Teresa because he feels like he has to, like, tone himself down when he can't be there and he, or when he's with them and he can't be his authentic self around them. Kate, like, actually was one that came up with this. Kate, the way Caitlin has been speaking to Tyler this season has been really different than she used to talk to him. And it's been impressive. She's made a lot of progress. And she's like, well, you know, I think that you just really struggle with the fact that you think that Brandon and Teresa don't like you and that you can't be yourself. And he's like, yep, that's really true. Um, And so then they're talking about the fact that Kate has started a group text with Brandon, Teresa, and Tyler, I guess before it was just Brandon, Teresa, and Kate. And she's like, you know, you can respond. And Tyler's like, well, I think it's safer if I don't respond. I actually, Tyler's annoying me in this. Because Tyler's whole thing is that, like, he is like, well, if I can't talk about Carly the way that I want to talk about her, then I don't want to talk about her at all. Because if you remember, like, Brandon, Teresa, and Tyler have gotten into it over the years about, like, what Tyler posts on social media about her. Kate a little bit, too. But Kate would always, like, accept their verdict and be like, okay, well, I'm not going to risk having a relationship with Carly to post online where Tyler's like, I can do whatever I want. I think that Brandon and Teresa just really bother Tyler because I think that Tyler wants to be able to do and say whatever he wants. And he's like, I don't get the big deal. I think he doesn't respect their choices. I think it's not that he like wants Carly back or is upset that Brandon and Teresa are Carly's parents or anything like that. I think he just wants to be able to do and says whatever he do and say whatever he wants and he's annoyed that he can't. And so when he's like, well, you know, I can't be my authentic self, it's like, he can be. Just don't fucking post her on social media. Like it's so easy. <laughs> oh gosh. So Tyler's like, you know, I think that I'm just not going to say anything because I don't want to risk anybody getting in trouble. And I think it's just better if I don't say anything. And Kate's like, so you'd be okay if they took Carly away? And Tyler's like, yeah, like I'd be upset. Of course I'd be upset. But like I'd be okay. He's like, I'm more worried about you. And I don't want to do anything with for you that would mess it up. The reality is like you have a different bond than her. You're the birth mom. It's always gonna mean more than than her. And I just want to make sure that you're okay. And Kate, I like had a genuine little flutter in my heart of pride when Kate response to this, she goes, You know, you don't have to protect me all the time. You don't always have to do that. Caitlin, that's growth. Oh, so much growth. So much growth from Caitlin. And he's like, Well, you know, like, I, nah, it's not that I want to protect you, but like, does it bother you that I don't communicate? And Kate's like, Look, I don't want you to do something that you're uncomfortable with. I, I don't want you to like, Talk to people that you're uncomfortable talking to. But I don't want you to miss out. And, oh, This is when they wonder about if, like, they're going to have any sort of relationship with Carly in the future. And I don't know. I think this is a real reckoning moment for them. And I think they're handling it pretty well. And I hope that Kate is still in therapy so the therapist can validate her choices, unlike Don. Okay. Oh, my gosh. Do I still really have to? <laughs> I feel like I've been talking a lot. Let's talk about Macy next. To still is obviously having some PTSD from the shooting, but we get a Bentley episode. So it's Larry's birthday. And Macy's like, well, do you want to go over there? Bentley's like, yeah, I I do want to go there. And Bentley tells Macy that the therapist, his therapist has given him his card and he told Bentley to give it to his dad. Now, I'm a little unsure why this is Bentley's job and why, like, Macy can't give Ryan the information or why it's not being given to like Jen and Larry to give to Ryan. But I don't know. I, I don't know what the therapist, the therapist motivation is behind this because obviously we don't see the therapy. But I thought that was like kind of a big ask for Bentley. Bentley, while he is 12, he's still 12, you know. So they're at Larry's. Larry's 60. It actually looks like a really good time. Bentley's having fun. Hudson was there and he looked so big. There's a cute moment of, like, they smash the cake in Larry's face and Ryan and Bentley are kind of, like, going at it together. It seemed sweet. Bentley seemed happy. Everybody seemed happy to be there. They were all getting along. Look, I think those moments are good. Do I think that, like, Bentley should necessarily be around Ryan? No. But I think in, like, these group settings, the Edwards are very important to him in a huge part of his life. And always has been. So I think it's good when he gets to be around them, and have it be happy and healthy. And he gets to see his siblings, and he gets to see his grandparents. And it, it just seemed like a good scene. So afterwards, he's talking. Bentley's talking to Taylor and Macy, and he said seeing his dad was really good. Not really good, but he said it was it was good, and that he gave him the card. Um, I did notice Macy and Taylor were drinking through this. They were drinking every single time they were on camera. Macy and Taylor drink. A lot. I'm sorry. They do. They drink a lot. They do. I'm curious to see what it will look like next season when Ryan's not on this show. They do not have a scene without alcohol in it. And it's not like I get it. People in the South drink a lot. It's cultural. Whatever. But it, it does not seem like Macy's having one to two drinks a day. It seems like she's having four to five to six to seven drinks a day. Honestly, she drinks a lot. So Bentley says he feels really relieved about it all. And that Ryan said that he would call on Monday. And you can tell Bentley feels good. And Macy's like, you already did. She's like, you did your part. You actually did way more than you should have done or had to do. Which, yeah, is true. So then we get a scene of Ryan and Mackenzie talk. And Ryan is blasted off to outer space. Holy shit, is Ryan high. Wow, 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 wow. Does Mackenzie know he's high? Yes. Uh, I would guess Mackenzie's living in this denial land, um, where she is pretending like she doesn't know he's high because things are like going okay, but she knows he's high. There's no way she, he is so fucked up in this scene. Oh my God. He's so fucked up in this scene. So he's like, you know, that birthday party was really good. I, he goes, I talked to Bentley and I told Bentley that, Like, you know, Benny, we don't want things to be this way. Like, this isn't the way that we want things to be. And we want things to get better. I just think you're being lied to, buddy. (laughs) He's like, we'd love to have you go back to normal. And I could tell it's tearing him up. Yeah, you being a heroin addict is tearing him up, Ryan. The fact that Mackenzie can sit there on TV. its Look, Ryan is an asshole. Ryan's always been an asshole. And Ryan's... So fucking high he can barely keep his head up in this scene. It's not surprising to me that he would get on TV and say this. That Mackenzie, who is seemingly sober enough, who seemingly has some sort of brain, could get on television and talk like this and have no shame over it is astounding to me. I'm like constantly blown away by how shitty Mackenzie is willing to look on TV. I do not get it. I don't get how she does not see how she's going to be perceived. So he's like, well, Ryan Bentley gave me the card of the therapist. And she's like, Oh, well, are you gonna call him? And he goes, you know, yeah. He's like, I want I want things to be better. I want them to get back together. But like I'd be lying if I want I want things, but and Mackenzie's like, I'd be lying if I said I wasn't nervous about and Ryan's like, mm mm-hmm, me too. He says, Oh, he describes the counselor as the one that Macy picked out for Bentley. Yeah, no shit, Ryan. Bentley's 12. Where is he going to get a therapist if his mom doesn't pick one out? Are you going to get Bentley the therapist? Doesn't seem like that's something that you would be doing. Oh. (laughs) The fact that now they're trying to make it seem like Bentley or Macy's like this scheming bitch and like has gotten this therapist that's like going to brainwash Bentley into like hating them. What the fuck are they talking about? What? Because Macy picked, they're like, we just don't trust anybody that Macy picks out. Why not? Wh- who else is he going to see? Who else is he going to see, Ryan? So Ryan says, you know, that's why I don't trust the counselor she picked. Everything she does is good for her. I don't trust her or anyone she picks. <laughs> he does call and set up the appointment, which, you know, if that's what Bentley and the therapist want, then good. I, I hope that he can have an appointment and have a safe space to talk to Ryan about how he feels. I think that would be really important. But I also hope that, like, everybody, everybody isn't like Macy and the therapists have, like, kept expectations reasonable for Bentley. I just worry that he thinks, like, Ryan's going to come to therapy with him and then, like, everything's going to be better. What I hope is that the therapist and Macy, I mean, we haven't really heard this from Macy because Macy's always been like, well, one, you can see daddy, you know, you can see Ryan once you go to therapy together. But like, I don't get it because I don't I don't think that's going to like suddenly make Ryan a safe person to be around. What I hope is that the goal is to just like have Ryan come in there and Bentley can like express his feelings and the therapist can help him tell Ryan how he feels, and then going forward, they can, like, work on that. Because I don't think Ryan's going to be regularly coming to therapy, and Ryan's still going to be a heroin addict getting high. So I hope that the therapist has Bentley with, like, reasonable expectations of what is going to come from a therapy session with his dad. I would assume he does. I would assume Macy does, too. It just hasn't – nobody's really, like, expressed what the goal of the therapy session is with Ryan. If the goal of the therapy session is just for Bentley to have a safe space to talk to Ryan, then I think that's fucking great. If the goal is that this is going to repair their relationship, I think that's unlikely because once again, Ryan's still getting high. Until Ryan gets sober, I don't really see them having any sort of healthy relationship. So I guess we'll see. Well, I guess we won't see because they won't be on the show next season. (laughs) By the way, I think next week is the season finale. Team mom 2 starts on May 4th, and apparently Young and Pregnant got pushed to August. I'm so mad. Oh, poor little Bentley. Poor little Bentley. I Ryan is just... Uh, this was the highest we've ever seen him, I think. He was so high. And Mackenzie? <laughs> Why have none of Mackenzie's girlfriends called her and like, babe, look. We get it. Macy's a real bitch, but you have to stop calling her that on camera. (laughs) You look bad, Mackenzie. You don't look good. I can't believe no one in her life has been like, you need to stop talking shit about Macy on camera because it is not doing you any favors. All right, let's talk about the other bad parent, Amber. Ooh. Amber is a nightmare. Oh, my God. I am more shocked every episode, you know, it's not it's not surprising in many ways. Right. Because Amber is an abuser. So like, of course, it was going to turn on Leah. I mean, yeah, I guess there are people that are abusers that only abuse certain people. I don't want to say like if you're an abuser, you abuse everyone in your life. I don't necessarily think that's true. But I think for Amber, the reason that she's abusive is because of her you know, her mental health issues that she is not treating seemingly at all. So, of course, eventually it's going to turn on Leah. She doesn't have any anger control. She doesn't seem to have any, like, self-regulation of her emotions and she's extremely narcissistic. So, like, there's no way that those things would just disappear when dealing with Leah. I think the reason that it hasn't come up earlier than this is because Amber hasn't been single for this long before. So there hasn't been a time where Amber's been able to, like, get her eyes on Leah for long enough to be mad at her. I think in the past, I mean, because really, Matt came into the picture then she was single for about, like, two months before Andrew moves in. And then Dimitri is there, like, very quickly after Andrew. I think that this is the first time That, like, Amber has spent a lot of time alone, which means that she has to have a target. And I think now her target is Gary and Leah and Christina. And that is not surprising, but sad as fuck to see. It's very sad to see. I mean, Amber is a mean, awful person. And if she doesn't have a significant other to abuse, she's going to turn it on somebody. And it's her mom and her ex And her child, which is really, really fucking sad. Really sad. So it starts off with Amber saying, I haven't talked to Leah since her birthday and it's been really hard. (laughs) Okay. I, 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 me, 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 me is Amber. So she FaceTimes with Tanya and they're talking about the Tanya, the Tanya, talking about the party. Tanya is slurring it's hard to understand tanya she is fucked up and i was saying when they went out to lunch she seemed a lot more coherent than she had in the past and she's back to slur town in this which is you know sad so tanya's like you know the party was so nice we had a good time she's just so smart you don't even basically being like oh lee is so smart and amber's like i know i know how smart she is i mean i look at her homework when i'm with her Okay, and Amber says, I'm trying and that's all that matters. Girl, what? You don't, you don't apply that to this. Like right now I have a really hard, um, my class isn't that hard. I understand all the material, but the way that this professor's assignments are are very difficult to me and what I'm doing is I'm trying my best and that's all I can do, right? Like I'm putting in my best effort. I hope I can still get an A, but if I don't, it's okay because I'm trying my hardest. And if I get a B, I get a B. It is what it is. I can't do any better than my best. That's when you say I'm trying and that's what matters. <laughs> when you're actually putting forth effort, not when it comes to parenting. Well, I'm trying and that all that all that's all that matters. Like, no, that's not all that matters, actually. Not at all. There's lots of other things that matter. <sighs> she said, Amber says, I'm still waiting for that phone call. But I'm not going to wait too long. What the fuck? What is she? She sounds like she's talking about a boyfriend this whole time. When she's talking about Leah throughout this episode, she sounds like she's talking about a boyfriend. And I think that just goes to show how unhealthy Amber is and how sick she is. Because she does not have any sort of maternal bond with Leah, first of all. And I think the only relationships she understands are romantic relationships and I think that she is now viewing Leah in that same lens and that's really scary and also very unhealthy very unhealthy that's not good for Leah you should not be treating your child the same way that you treat significant others because significant others are adults and a child is a child and you're the parent Ugh, it's just mm-mm. It's not great. It's uh, ugh. Tony's like, well, you know, don't give up. Don't let it sleep away to where you don't hear from her. She's 12. She's not an adult. She's still a child. This is what I mean by Amber really treating Leah like she's a boyfriend. She says, but I wanted her to feel that she will miss me if I'm not there. She's looking at my pictures on Snapchat now. And she's like, you know, like, Lee and I do have a problem, but, like, we have a bond. So don't say we don't have a bond and you're looking at my pictures. That is something that I would say about my (laughs) ex-boyfriend. Oh, oh, so he doesn't like me. He doesn't want to be with me. But, like, all he does is look at my Instagram stories. Literally have a friend that just broke up with her boyfriend. Like, I shouldn't have been seen for that long. And she's like, he's the first one that looks at all of my stories and it's driving me fucking nuts. But I'm not ready to block him. Like, that was the conversation we were having. She was talking about a boyfriend. (laughs) The fact that Amber is, like, saying, well, why does Leah look at my pictures if she doesn't miss me? That's not your significant other. This is your child, Amber. Oh, she's so fucked up. So we get a scene of Gary and Leah sitting down and he's like, well, have you talked to your mom? And Leah says that Amber Snapchatted her to let her know why she couldn't come. Then Leah says, you know, she said that she knows that I would want to do something one on one and that it was fake. So I asked her what was fake because it was my birthday and she said it's something that I wouldn't understand until I'm older. I'm speechless over that. Amber telling Leah that her birthday is fake, I'm guessing what she means is that it's all bullshit for MTV. But for Amber to say to Leah, well, this is all fake, so it doesn't even matter that I'm not there. It's like Leah's like, I don't, it's my birthday. I don't know what she means. Because once again, Amber's talking to Leah like it's her significant other, like she's another adult. You don't tell a child that. Even if that's what you think, which it's not, that's not true, but even if that's what you think, you don't say that to the child, that you're not going to come to their party because it's all fake. It's mind-blowing how she keeps lowering and lowering and lowering herself. So Gary's like, I-, I don't know what she meant by fake. And Leah's like, me neither. And Gary's talking about mommy hurting Leah. And shes he's like, you know, we can't just write your mom off because she's hurt you. Once again, Leah needs a therapist that will validate the fact that she does not want to see her mom. Why is nobody just letting Leah not see her mom? Well, I mean, she's not seen her mom, but like, why are they not being like, yeah, that makes total sense that you don't want to see her and you don't have to see her. I I mean, I get it. Like you want your child to have a relationship with their parent, but like Leah's a teen now, essentially. Like she has the ability to really fully express herself because she says here, she says, you know, she says, I'm I'm just not personally ready to do anything one-on-one with her yet. And Gary's like, well, do you have any idea of how much time you need? And Lee's like, I don't actually know when I'll be ready to reach out. I think it would look like her coming over maybe for food or ice cream. I just know I don't ever want to stay the night at her house. Wow. Gary goes, well, if she had a different house, it'd be a different story. I don't understand. Or if she was still at her house, it would be a different story. I don't understand, like the drama around this house. Amber kept saying that she's living in an Airbnb and has been for two years, which what I guess, I think she's just calling a rental house an Airbnb? There's been some speculation that Gary owns that house, but like it's a normal house. Is it only one bedroom? Is that why? I mean, it's little that it's a little house, but like, I don't understand this like fantasy world where if Amber was at her old house, she would be seeing Leah. And if the fact that it's the house that's preventing her from seeing Leah or having Leah over there, why doesn't she get a new house? Why doesn't she just rent a two-bedroom apartment? Doesn't doesn't make any sense at all. And Leah agrees with me because she goes, no, you know, I don't think so. She's had opportunities and she hasn't used them. And Gary's like, oh, you mean like to spend time with you? And then Leah really smacks at home. She says, yeah, you know, opportunities to do things like being a mom because I can only remember things when I'm like four and that's when Christina came into my life and like that's my mom because giving birth is just giving birth it's like taking care of the child and actually being there that makes a mom I know that that I know that there's always going to be a little hole where there should have been something else I about fall out of my chair for this Leah is very well spoken she is very mature At least from what we see on camera. And I. Her saying this on camera one. I think is going to have a lot of um, repercussions for her. Unfortunately. Because I think Amber is very vindictive. But. Her being straight up like Christina is my mom. Her giving birth to. Amber giving birth to me does not make me her mom. I don't remember shit from before I was four. So I don't really care about anything that she did. (sighs) And then her being like, yeah, well, it's always going to be upsetting to me that this isn't what it is. But I that's all I can do. Poor Leah. So Amber calls Gary and goes, I think there's been a lot of misinformation. There's always an excuse. I'm the priority and I'm not getting my one on one time. Amber, you're the priority. You, not Leah. I think Leah's the priority, not you. And Gary's like, what are you talking about? You don't come to the house. You don't go out to eat. And Amber's like, yeah, for half a fucking year, I chose to be a hermit for a good reason. I'm guessing they're talking about COVID, which would be reasonable if um, she wasn't also filming a TV show and having MTV over. Like, we know that she's leaving her house and doing things. And Gary, like, Amber's like, you know what? Fuck you. And hangs up the phone and cuts off the conversation. So Gary and Christina have a talk. And Gary's like, well, you know, she said that we're lying to her and I just like, I really don't get it. She just keeps accusing the two of us of stopping her from seeing Leah and you know that's not what's going on. And so Christina says, you know, Leah's the one that wants to give up and you're the one encouraging it. And I support that. I want her to have a relationship with her mom. But I wish Amber would just like do the follow through and put Leah in front for once and – you know, they talk about the fact that Amber always pushes Leah aside for boyfriends. Gary's really mad that Amber is trash talking Christina. And Christina's like, look, like, I know that Amber feels threatened. And I just wish she would have like a little more kindness for me because like, I'm the one that does everything for Leah. Like, Amber's not gonna wake up and take Leah to school every day. Or maybe Gary said that. One of them acknowledges the fact that Amber's never going to do, like, the full-time mom duties. And Christina goes, you know, yesterday I took Leah to get her flu shot. Today I took her to the dentist. Amber doesn't do those things. She can badmouth me all she wants, but I can sleep at night. If it wasn't for me, Leah wouldn't have a mom in her life. And they're like, look, it took, like, look at how disconnected Leah feels from Amber. It took her 12 years to even approach this with her. Wowzer, wowzer, wowzer. Uh, Amber did not go live after this week's episode, which surprised me to talk shit on her daughter. Um, Because this is like, I mean, the line in the sand has been drawn, right? Like, things have been declared. What's been declared is that Leah is not interested in having a relationship with Amber. And that she considers Christina to be her mom and not Amber. And you can't walk back from that. I mean, they can progress and they can build their relationship, but... Leah's made her feelings known, and I hope that Gary and Christina respect them and don't force her to spend time with Amber. So, yeah, that's it for this week. I think, like I said, I think next week is the finale, and then we get those reunions, and then Teen Mom 2 starts, which I'm, I don't know. Ashley's going to be on it. That's exciting. Kale said something somebody on Instagram, she's like, wow, love to just find out Ashley's joining today. And I'm like, I've known Ashley was joining Teen Mom 2 for six months. What are you talking about? stupid. Anyway, guys, I hope that everybody has a good week and I will talk to you next week. Bye. This podcast is brought to you by Solid Listen Network. Find me on Instagram at feathers underscore pod.